Welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm your host, Bruce Waller, as I'm getting to talk to leaders that have made a difference in the workplace and in our community. What did they do to get started? And what are they doing to stay there, to continue to accelerate? And we are in season two, as I have a special guest kicking off the month of January, and her name is Halima McWilliams. And she is the Vice President and Director of People Operations and Culture at Corgan in Dallas, Texas. She has her MS. She has a Sherm CP. She has a PHR and a CDP. And for those who don't know the CDP, that is a Certified Diversity Professional. And I am honored to have you on the show today. How are you today? I am great. I'm great. I'm experiencing good weather here in Dallas today. So no complaints on this end. <laughs> and we're recording this actually in December of 2020. And so this is going to be played in January 2021. So we're going to talk about some things that are going to help uh, you kick off the new year, <laughs> refresh in 2021 yeah. and say goodbye to 2020 for sure. Uh, one thing though that I didn't uh, actually share on your intro is you are also a speaker. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was actually um, uh, looking at you have been speaking a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion strategies. And we're going to talk a yeah. little bit about that as we talk about volunteer leadership uh, along the way. But I would love for you to just share a brief highlight of your organization, yeah. Corgan, and how you serve your customers. Sure, 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 sure. Thanks for having me, Bruce. This is a great time and I'm looking forward to spending uh, some valuable time together today. Um, so Corgan, yes, is a global architecture and design firm uh, in downtown Dallas. Uh, they've been around since 1938 and we have about 615, 620 employees around the globe, uh, Singapore, uh, UK, and then in major cities across the US. And um, we, I am surrounded by some very smart designers and architects who really um, specialize in six different sectors. We help to design aviation or airports and uh, lounges, uh, healthcare spaces for people to heal, education uh, spaces, schools, um, data centers, uh, commercial, and um, some other areas of specialty. And so it's been, almost three years that I've been with the firm and I've seen some just amazing things. I came to this firm uh, really having a very lay understanding of what architects and design designers do and really respect the profession even that much more because these folks really are community shapers, change agents, and really are activists in their own way and that they're creating spaces for people to feel welcomed, uh, to belong and to create connections or spaces of healing um, or spaces of learning. So you can only respect uh, folks who really make a positive impact in the, in, in the world, really. I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, I was doing some uh, research and on your LinkedIn profile, it says activator, change agent, and culture champion. And I heard you use some of those words as you're talking about your organization. Yes, I believe in uh, really the power of connection. And I believe that, and I've said this in some recent panels and webinars and, and speaking uh, engagements that I have, is that we all have the ability to take action. We all have it. 
Uh, we all have the ability to get started and even restart. And sometimes that's every morning when you get up, you know, you are blessed to be able to get up hopefully with full mind and faculties and, and the ability to move. And that's a day to get started and do something new, do something better, but also do something for someone else. Um, and I know we'll talk about servant leadership and, and really being of service. And I think that we all have a responsibility to leave the place better than we inherited it. And it's something that is a principle that I've grown up with and I'm a full believer of. Um, and so impacting the workplace and the culture, it's really something that I, I've been doing over the course of my career. I just didn't always name it, but I knew that it was something that I like to do. I love it. Oh my gosh, that's so fantastic. I Listen, we've just started. I'm already inspired. <laughs> Uh, folks, if you're listening or watching, get out your pens, get out your journals. Uh, you want to take some notes because this is going to be fantastic. So, Alima, I would love to hear. I want to hear from the start. I would love to hear a little bit more about, like, where where did it all start for you? Share your story and, and where were you born and, and yeah. world did you get into HR? By accident. <laughs> Um, you know, I think now the HR profession has definitely evolved uh, where people choose it. And I think people chose it back in the day, too, when it was called personnel or office administration. Um, I started at a time when it was still called personnel. So clearly I started when I was 12, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, to take it back a little bit more, I was um, born in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, home of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so that is one thing about St. Louis. You, you, we may be fair weather about our football teams and sometimes even our hockey teams, but baseball, you better be a Cardinals fan or leave. <laughs> so, so uh, but born and raised there. Yeah. I think, and, the, uh, I think the Texas Ranger fans know the Cardinals <laughs> quite well, Lima. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was here, I lived here when that World Series was happening and oh my gosh, it was a great time to be a St. Louis in, in Dallas, for sure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so born and raised in St. Louis and um, spent the majority of my childhood, teenage years there. And over the course of uh, my college journey, I started off um, at a school called Tennessee State, uh, which is a historically black college and university in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I went there as a biology pre-med major um, because of course, when you grow up, yeah, you wanna be a doctor, you wanna make all the money and all the things. And I wanted to help people, right? So that's what I thought. And um, I journeyed down that path for as a biology major for about two and a half or three years until I, I met organic chemistry. And organic chemistry said, hey, is this really what you wanna do? <laughs> and I said, you know what? After uh, a compressed summer lab of organic chemistry and the course in itself, this is not what I wanna do. <laughs> so I quickly made a pivot um, and still wanted to stay in the medical field because I always wanted to work in a hospital. That was kind of always one of my dreams. I remember wanting to be a candy striper and all that stuff. So um, I traveled down the path of then saying, well, how can I use these credits to become a respiratory therapist? Sounds great. Went on rotationals, did that whole thing. And then I ran out of money. 
and I was an out-of-state student uh, in Nashville. So prices were high. And at that time, I was in school. My mom was in school pursuing her master's. And then my one of my younger sisters was in school pursuing her bachelor's. So everybody's in school and money is tight. So I had to come back home. But that was fine um, because I found a hospital that had a respiratory therapy program that I could complete my studies. Great. So I only had about a year and a half to go. I got back home and the hospital lost funding for the program. So now, what do I do? <laughs> so now I have all of these pre-biology, pre-med credits, all of these medical credits, and I'm not about to start over, but I need to figure something out. So I found the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and talked to a really good advisor. She's actually a family friend, and um, I was able to take the majority of my credits and it aligned with a psychology undergrad. And so I you know, began to take sociology classes and some other um, more specialized courses in psychology and got a psychology degree, but also worked um, at an adoption agency that my cousin founded at that time, because I came back home and um, I was working kind of as the administrative assistant, HR assistant, but didn't really know about HR. I just knew I was helping out the HR manager on payroll and things like that. Sure, it's a job um, until I really started to understand, oh, wait a minute. We help people's experience at work be better if they're paid on time, if their benefits are good, if we treat them well. And so really that was the first time and that was probably 20 some odd years ago where I really started to put a stake in the ground of, I actually can do this and I like it. Um, and so that's how my journey began. It was really, it was by accident. I wasn't choosing HR at all because even with my psychology pivot, I was thinking about becoming a psychologist because it still allowed me to work in a hospital setting. Um, and so I didn't want, but I didn't want to take the um, GRE or the GMAT. I just wasn't into taking an entry test. So yeah, HR found me. And ironically, at that time, my initials were HR as well. My maiden name is Redding. <laughs> so I was HR and HR. <laughs> Talk about a calling. Oh my goodness. HR and HR. That's fantastic. I love that. You know, it seems to be a common yeah. thread about how people will say, I didn't really plan on this journey. It's just where I where I made it. You know, uh, I, I I would love for you to share. You know, you're talking about you know you're wanting to go you know into healthcare and you know, respiratory, uh, and then and then of course you use the word pivot, which I like because we're all using that word in 2020 pivoting. But you know, once you got into HR, and and so today you're leading, you're leading yeah. HR. Yeah. Um, how did, was there like a, was there like a moment where you're like, okay, I thought I was going to love this, but now I know this was what I was, you know, I was born to do. Was there mm. a time you said I found my lane? Yes. Yes, there was. I was working for a nursing home. And, um, so I, I got a chance actually to, um, I worked for my cousin and um, then I got a chance to become an office manager at, at following that kind of initial step in, or introduction into HR. 
And then I got a chance to work at a nursing home in St. Louis. And it was very much, it's, it's large. It's a huge nursing home. So it gave me that hospital feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a chance to really go in there. And, and one of the things that really introduced me to HR was I had to, it was a unionized nursing home. Um, and so that was my first introduction to that as well. And I knew and saw, even with unions, their advocacy for their members. And so, and it was a, actually a very complimentary relationship, but it gave me the real insight of advocacy mm. and advocating on the behalf of employees and representing what they need. Now, not here to pro or con unions, but the principle of representing people and advocacy was probably my initial moments Mm. as an early HR practitioner to say, I like this because I do like being able to bring or help people amplify their voice. Mm. And I remember my eighth grade teacher, Ms. Wyman, um, I went to private school for about three years, private Catholic school. And I remember she said, and I still have it in kind of my memory book. She said, you're always going to be one that helps to speak for, speak on the behalf of others and for what is just and right. And of course, in the eighth grade, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> but then as, I, as I really followed my timeline of life thus far, it started at home, but then I've realized how much it has shaped even my career today. Wow. She, yeah. So she planted the seed. You know, I, one of the things I love uh, talking about is the importance of mentors in oh, our God. career, right? And you're talking about helping people. And so I know there's probably some mentors that have helped you. One in particular I'm sitting here thinking is not only your, your eighth grade teacher, but also your college advisor. I mean, helping yeah. navigate, which is a family yeah. member. Share, yeah. share a little bit about the importance of uh, some mentors in your life. And, and also, do you mentor others today? Absolutely. Um, I think that the mentorship relationship is absolutely core to my success thus far. Mm-hmm. Without it, I would be very much still floundering. Um, I would be in a place of just a swirl. I think that mentors bring you the insight and the observations of where your strengths are, where your basement areas are, and where your trajectory could go, and that they really help you to tap into that unseen or unspoken potential. And sometimes they're just there to ground you to say, get over yourself. (laughs) You (laughs) You really need to do this. They help you to activate the courage that sometimes you know you have, but you need someone to really spark that fire up under your tail. And then I've had mentors or even leaders who have really been teachers in their own way in that, I don't want to be like you. Mm. Uh, You know, I've seen leadership qualities that make me say, I'm going to do that one differently. because I do believe that I've had mentors, one mentor, uh, she is a, the CEO of a behavior, a global behavioral health organization um, in St. Louis. And she started off as an HR director. And I remember our conversation very clearly back in 1996 when she talked to me about HR. 
and I just talked to her two weeks ago and she is very much a, I admire her, I respect her and she pours into me constantly, even from afar. Um, and so I believe that mentors are absolutely critical to your success. And I also believe that mentors should look different, come from different backgrounds, have different experiences. I have mentors who are younger than me, who are of different ethnicities, who are from different walks of life, and I learn from them just as well. So it doesn't, it's not going to be in this cookie cutter package. Uh, your mentorship or your, as I think about it, as your board of directors of your life should be very much um, a, a reflection of the world we live in, but also they should challenge your perceptions to help you consider different ways of being and living and doing. I love that. I, I was, uh, I can't remember who I was listening to, but they were talking about the importance of mentorship and a great mentor will challenge you. So you know you have a good mentor when they are challenging you. Yeah. I love also how you talked about uh, how you can also, it's also, it's, it's not about just uh, helping you along the way, but allowing you to see what good looks like. Yeah. And also what not good looks like. Absolutely. And we're all human. So that means that we are perfectly flawed <laughs> individuals. <laughs> and I think at, some, at, at times we put greater expectations on people based on their title mm. or what, they, you know, what they've achieved and, and we, we put them on a pedestal until sometimes you get to a place where you realize, you know what, you put your pants on just like me and you're going to have bad days, you're going to have good days. But I think what's important is to recognize it and be aware of when you're not showing up in your best light, but also being aware that I think part of what has helped my journey, uh, Bruce, is giving people grace mm -hmm. and giving yourself grace because we are going to mess up and it's okay as long as you recognize it, acknowledge it. And if there was someone involved that you hurt or you, you know, uh, caused pain to, you are humble enough as a leader to apologize. I think that we are in a society right now where it's hard to be vulnerable. And I think we need to get back into the practice of having vulnerability and courage exist at the same time. I love that. I, I know that uh, Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and courage. And, um, you know, I think that uh, 2020, uh, as we look back on, on the previous year, uh, there, I, I hear that term a lot about how we need to give more grace. And I think we're doing that, right? We're, and we're accepting the fact that, hey, you know what, this isn't perfect, but this is where we're at right now. And so uh, I think there's a, some silver linings. I would love to talk a little bit of leadership uh, 2021 as we do reflect on 2020, because I think that's one of the important pieces of moving into a new season is reflecting on where were you and, and where, where do you want to go? Yeah. Um, were, there any, were there any silver linings or, or have you seen, how did you shift in your leadership in 2020 um, that's going to help you uh, move forward? Yeah, I think one of my, I, I, I am a, a big believer in strengths finder. And so in my top five, uh, my second top strength is empathy. Mm. And empathy for me is being able to see the whole human uh, in their good and their bad, and at least considering what they need and customizing 
your leadership in accordance to what they need at that time. Sometimes you have employees who need a swift kick in the butt and that kind of in your face hardcore coaching um, works for them. And other ones, you need to have a softer and more gentle approach to inspire them to get up, dust off and keep moving forward. And so I believe in 2021, as leaders, it will be even more imperative that we are empathetic and we are mindful of how exhausted people are right now. And that that exhaustion is going to show up in many different ways. And giving people, again, grace. I was telling a, a, a group of, of leaders here in DFW just yesterday um, who were in the learning and, and leadership space that we have to understand that in this pandemic, especially in the diversity and inclusion space, we have some people, as my mother says, who have been living a pandemic life all their lives. And so usually that's people of color. Those are people who are in underprivileged positions. And so you have to be mindful that 2020, especially in this virtual world, the Zoom world, we got a high definition view of people's lives in a much more intimate way. And so now that we've been able to be invited in, be it by choice or by force into people's whole homes and their whole humanity, we now have the position as leaders to consider and customize how we move forward. And it doesn't mean that we don't have goals and priorities and objectives and bottom lines to consider, but we now know that the whole human has to be in a much wholer position to affect those things that affect our ultimate outcome, which is our bottom line, our revenues, our profitability. If our people aren't good, we're not good. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that is so true. Oh my gosh, that's so true. You know, uh, speaking about, about that, I, I, I was sharing with someone that, you know, we've been talking about diversity for a long time, talking about it. But really, yeah. 2020 was a year that all of a sudden people said, we need to do something about it. Absolutely. True. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're now like one of the things that I saw you recently spoke at in December was you were talking about how to design a diversity, equity and inclusion strategy. Yeah. I mean, is that, is, that part, is that part of 2021 for you and, and more focus for you and your organization? Yes. Um, this past year, 2020, July, uh, for Corgan, we actually just took our first formal step forward. And I say first formal step in that at Corgan, I mentioned we've been around since 1938. Corgan has actually had about a 30-year journey in the diversity and inclusion space. Now, it started off from a very compliance-driven place, which is traditional in many organizations from an EEOC perspective. And that's okay. That was a start 20, 30 years ago. However, over the course of this 20 to 30 year evolution, there have been other relationships and opportunities that the organization has cultivated, but never formally named diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so this year, we actually stood up our strategic framework, which is called Belong, and it 
really is, again, just a manifestation of really what is culturally important to Corgan. We just never formalized it. And so now we've, we are in our maturity journey in DEI and have begun to name it and, and really share it out internally first, uh, because we believe that we need to take care of home first before we start showcasing what we're doing externally. And so over the course of the summer from about July through September, we conducted 38 listening sessions around the world uh, to hear from our employees in regards to what does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean? Can we, should we have a conversation about systemic racism and injustice and gender identity? What is our readiness to really have those conversations? Are they scary for some? Absolutely. But we address that early on to say, look, we know that this is going to make some uncomfortable, but we ask you to opt in to the conversation. Even if you don't have anything to say, just come in and listen to gain perspective and understanding of someone else's their, their condition, their life, or their experiences. That's where that empathy comes into play. So we have been able to have those conversations because we also wanted to hear from employees. And I've been at organizations where the, the, the cascading strategic plan came from on high without consideration of what the employees really need, want, or want to connect to. So we did this in, to ensure that we had all-in buy-in from the top and the bottom. So it, it manifested into three priorities for us in 2021 relative to our commitment around talent acquisition, around unconscious bias, and then around our governance structure, which is going to lend to our accountability. We want to ensure that our talk is also our walk. Mm. Mm. Let me, uh, let me, uh, couple, a couple things on that. Number one, uh, I, I want to go here first. Number one is you use the word opt-in. And, you know, I think that for it to really, for anything uh, like this, uh, tough conversations, uh, for those to work, um, uh, you talked about, you know, in the past, from the top down, being able to like frame it up frame it yeah. up to where the employee knows that, hey, I can, it, it reminds me of like, hey, do you want to subscribe or unsubscribe? Do you want right. to opt into this conversation? We want to encourage you to do that. I love that. Where, where did that come from? I mean, opt in. I hadn't heard that before. And that is, that is a fantastic way. And I know the, the listeners who are listening today are going to yeah. really get something out of this because it's like, it, it, it just sounds different. Yeah, I think part of it comes from, so in one of my many former lives, I was a group fitness instructor. Uh, I taught Zumba. What? Yes. I love it. <laughs> I taught Zumba. I've lived over a couple of different cities uh, and one of them was Atlanta. And so I got a chance to go to a Zumba class some years ago and I really liked the format. And um, I said, oh, I could be a coach. Um, I love multiple streams of income, by the way. So that was like, okay, let me do this. And I had recently gotten laid off. And so it was just a great time for me in life. I was like, let me do this. So I, I, I pursued the training. And then or, or after I got certified, I actually moved back to Dallas. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that 
I would always share with my students as I was teaching class was, you know, there is an all-in version of this routine or format that I'm about to teach, or there's a modified version. But if you want all the results that you came here for, you're going to have to fully opt in. Mm. And so, because even for me as a group X instructor, when I would hear the word burpee, I was opting out. And me, <laughs> nope, not, not doing it. But I also knew that honestly, a burpee was one of the most effective frame reshaping exercises that you could do. So when I ask people to opt into conversations that either they've never had before, they've never been a part of, or they automatically assume is going to be uncomfortable, I'm asking them to opt in to doing the work required to get to the other side of where you're trying to be, which is either an ally, an upstander, or at least just having an awakened consciousness. You've mm. got to choose to come into the conversation. Mm, that's fantastic. So that, that was the first thing when you said opt in, it just real, that really caught my teeth. The second thing is, uh, belong. So this is yeah. the name of your program. Is that an acronym or tell no, me it's more just, about it, that? It's, it's just, it's just the word, but okay. we felt that the word, it was inviting and it tells you exactly what to do. And that it also creates a space. And one of the things that I like about Porgan is that there is a uniqueness about our culture. It's collegial, but it's almost infectious. And that and when you start with this organization, and even for myself, I have never been as intimately connected with my team as I am in probably any other organization that I've worked in in a very long time. And when I say that, like for me, I always have this rule of, I'm not friends with people on social media who I work with currently. I don't need them to know my business, blah, 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 blah. We are so intertwined with each other now. And I think part of it is I have a team of people who are millennials and Gen X or uh, millennials and Gen Zers. Mm -hmm. So they, they see life differently. They engage with the world differently and I'm curious and I feel safe with them. Mm. And I think that's what belonging is about is, do I feel safe enough to be my wholest self with you in the midst of my tears, in the midst of my frustration, in the midst of my happiness? Are you all the people that I'm ready to call and celebrate with? And I actually can say with the team that I have, absolutely, a thousand percent. Uh, I, uh, I admire you so much. I think that is just absolutely fantastic. I want to, I want to know uh, this program, is this a six month program? Is it a one year program? What, like, have you ever talked about what does that look like long-term? It is it for us. It is a lifetime commitment. Hmm. It is a, it, but it is also a journey. And I, I just um, did a webinar for uh, the ATD chapter of DC uh, earlier this week. And my webinar is called Over Time, Not Overnight. Mm. Nothing, nothing that we want is, that is valuable is usually done overnight. And I always use the analogy of, I am a pot roast and potatoes girl. I love it. I'm <laughs> with love you. <laughs> Count me and, in on that. <laughs> exactly. But at no point do I ever want my pot roast to be cooked in a microwave. Mm -hmm. I need you to put it in a crock pot 
with the potatoes and the carrots and all of that so that marination and tenderizing can happen over time. 12 hours, I know that this is gonna be the best darn meal and I'm about to curl up on the couch and, and have a lifetime movie moment in my pajamas under my blanket. But if you tell me that you just cooked this in a pot roast or in a microwave, I don't want it. And it doesn't yield the same fulfillment and richness that an overtime uh, intentional and deliberate you know, type of action looks like. And so for us, belong is very much an evolution. Like I mentioned, we've been journeying on this for 20 or 30 years. So this is just our next step in our maturation as an organization, because belong isn't just about diversity and representation. It's about people feeling included. It's about people feeling connected, but it's also about the whole human. I was just meeting with uh, one of the ladies on my team. She leads our wellness and, and, and health strategy. And so we think about what are our dads who are new parents? What do they need? Mm -hmm. And so we've been success, successful at rolling out a paid parental leave program that honors the mom and the dad or the two dads or the adoptive single mother. We're thinking about it from a broader lens than I'll say the traditional space because we know our, the average age of our employees is 36. Mm. We have some family planning people here. Right <laughs> so we want to ensure that what we can offer meets their need to the best of our capabilities. So that, that's meaning that we're considering other personas and this is my design thinking human-centered component coming in, who are these people and what do their lives require and how as an employer can we address it to the best of our abilities? So for those who are listening, you're missing out on, you're going to have to watch this video because Halima is like using her hands to like structure this conversation. I absolutely love it. Um, let me let me ask you this. Uh, so one thing I, I uh, failed to mention earlier is that me and you both serve. Yes. on the Company Culture Consortium of Dallas board yes. uh, as we uh, help companies with uh, looking at different cultures and shaping cultures. I I'm wondering, um, and one of the things you had in your LinkedIn is you're a culture champion, right? Yes. And so yes. as we talk about uh, belong, as we look at, you know, back at 2020, moving into 2021, how has, has, have you seen any impact on culture, positive or negative? Yeah, I have. I, I think in good ways for sure. I've seen, I've seen leaders and cultures be mindful of what employees need right now, be it the connection and recognizing that it is core to our sense of being at times and that we've been doing hundreds of hours with these same people in office, online, year over year. So how do we, we can't necessarily duplicate an in-office experience on Zoom, but how do we think about creating those moments of intentionality and those moments of intimacy in a way that still allows for people to connect? Mm. So of course, 
course you have the happy hours and the coffee pull-ups and those types of things. But over time, you know, that has had to evolve because people are also fatigued. So you've got to find and strike that balance. And I think also what I've seen cultures do, I know here at Corgan, I was, like I said, on a call yesterday with leaders, is that I've seen a lot of executive leaders, CEOs on down, be more transparent in their communications to say, you know what, we don't know. And I think that it is a very honest place to come from, but I don't know if it was always practice, the authenticity of, I don't know and the vulnerability to say it. You know, isn't that something how, you know, before really, uh, before 2020, uh, for a leader to say, I don't know. Most of the time, you know, you're the fo- as a follower, you're like, I need to know, show me that vision. But uh, as there, you know, we hit 2020 and all the things that we faced for the leader stand up and say, I don't know, felt really, on- honestly, it felt comforting. Like, yes. hey, yes. we're in this together. Yes. We're in this together and, you know, we will get through it together if we all dig in and we're responsible and we're committed uh, to being safe and thinking about our neighbor and all of those things, we will get through this. Um, But we also don't have all the answers. And I can, the, the, I tell people all the time, I owe you honesty. I may not owe you a lot of other things, but I owe you honesty. And the honest position is, I don't know, or here's the information I have right now. And hey, it is subject to change. <laughs> hey, let me, let me ask you a question. Um, and I'm curious if someone listening right now was thinking, you know, I, we, we, we want, we want to make sure that we have D, a deity in our strategy in, in 2021. Yeah. Is there like one or two, a couple of things that someone should think about uh, to set up some type of strategy for their organization? Yes, I'd say two things um, that come to mind is don't try to boil the ocean. That's one. (laughs) And I am guilty. I talked about strength finders. My first strength is strategic. Mm-hmm. which means I can see the field, you know, down the way, come up with alternate paths, all of those things. But I also can take a lot of inputs and want to try to fit it in. And that can be exhausting for a lot of other people because I know where we're trying to go, but everybody else is like, wait a minute, that's too much. So I ask and tell people, tell me if I'm being extra. <laughs> tell me if this is too much. So I Say don't try to boil the ocean, depending on where your organization is, don't try to duplicate what you see another organization doing. Not that best practices are not valuable, but I tell people all the time, your strategic framework for your organization is as unique as your own fingerprint. You've got to know your culture to know what is the readiness for whatever we're trying to do. So if that means that we need to start with listening sessions, start there. If that means that we need to allow employees to be empowered to start a grassroots employee resource um, group around, you know, working parents or employees with disabilities or the remote workers ERG, who knows, start there. But you have to understand your organization and the organization's readiness 
to start because some of it may be as can we even talk about race mm -hmm. say you're black you're white you're gay that may not be where y'all are and not to say that you shouldn't push the envelope to get there but you can't have your kind of measuring stick be that of an organization who's been doing this for 40 years that's unfair to you as the individual leading the efforts or it's unfair to the organization because now you're going to give them a it's going to be a misdiagnosis for what you all need at that time that's fantastic that reminds me of an arthur ash quote start where you are Correct. Uh, and so uh so maybe something that you know I'll, I'll give out more information but it may be also as simple as picking up the phone and calling halima and just saying hey can we have a conversation too right absolutely i i welcome those conversations i could talk yeah. about diversity equity and inclusion and belonging and justice for hours upon end um so you know i definitely welcome those opportunities can i ask you a question i read yeah. this on your linkedin profile and it says this, um, I look forward to the continued privilege to partner with all levels employees uh, at medium and large uh, organizations and support efforts that support people, walk their talk, encourage purpose, nurture creativity, and inspire best from all. And I, as I read that, I, it's super inspiring, like, how, like, where does that come from, Halima? Where does that come from? I tell people all the time, if, if they could meet my mother, mm. then they would know <laughs> I am definitely a child of hers. Um, and I was thinking about it just this morning. You know, you, you, you study your parents, but you, and I won't say you discount them, but you just, that's mom or that's dad. But then as you start to really evaluate your journey, you're like, I am my mother. I am my father. Um, and, and, and I am honored to be able to have a mom who has been influential in my life um, because she is a, she's a kind person. Um, but she's also one who is about service and doing the work. Um, and I get that part from her a lot. And being honest about your contribution to this world and to this community. Who are you and what is your work? And your work is gonna look different than somebody else's work and that's okay. Um, but one of her favorite quotes is, I think it's Shirley Chisholm that said it uh, um, about rent being, uh, or, or service being the rent we pay to be inhabitants on this earth. And it is one that I am fundamentally a believer in because I believe that I am in a privileged place to be second generation college educated, to have experienced traveling the globe, to have family members on all spectrums of life and still be approachable, uh, down to earth, but always in a position to know that this, my story didn't have to be. My story could be something completely different. Uh, we, and she and I talk about it. Sometimes people are only one decision away from making the wrong decision and your life could be something completely different. 
I mean, think about your call, your, your conversation with your college advisor. I mean, it could totally change that man. Listen, perspective. That yeah. was, that is absolutely fantastic. And I, I'm so glad you shared that. I've got, Oh man, I got chills here. Oh, that is so good. I want to talk, I want to just shift real quick and I want to talk just real, uh, just for a couple minutes on volunteer leadership. I mean, you are busy. <laughs> you are busy, 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 but yet you find time to volunteer for uh, Company Culture Consortium of Dallas uh, that we yeah. put together. You also volunteer on the uh, DRC, which is Dallas Regional Chamber Talent yeah. Attraction Council. And then I saw where you were also like a judge uh, for an <laughs> awards chair for, yeah. I think it was Axis. Share just um, what what do you uh, how do you look at volunteer leadership and why is it so important to you? Well, I think just a continuation of service. So, um, I am a sorority girl. Uh, I uh, belong to so, uh, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, and this organization has been around since 1913. And um, I've been a member for close to 25 years. And one of the things that drew me into that organization was its three commitments, which is sisterhood, scholarship, and service. Um, and it is something that I fundamentally believe uh, it's our responsibility. Um, you know, and a lot of times we see these problems and these things that exist and you're kind of waiting on, well, yes, yeah, somebody needs to fix it. Yeah, somebody, you. <laughs> Look in the mirror, right? Yes, you do need to fix it. Yeah. And I think that it is, as much as I would love to say that I'm just this altruistic person who just loves to do it every single day. Yes, I do. But I also like to make connections with people who are doing the work as well, because I still have so much learning to do. I, want, I had an opportunity to talk to um, Beverly Smith, who is one of the founders of the Dallas dinner table here. Um, and she, I, our conversation was supposed to be 30 minutes. We talked for an hour and a half. And the Dallas dinner table is really a conversation that is on MLK. And it was, uh, it started after there was a, a death, a, a lynching death uh, in Jasper, Texas. And it was really to elevate conversations across Dallasites to have conversations about race and inequality and things of that sort. And so I am just getting introduced to that organization and by way of being of service, mm -hmm. but I get the gift of being able to talk to thought leaders who get paid thousands of dollars to speak at engagements. I got 90 minutes with this lady. So I get a chance to connect with people who are awesome and amazing by way of my service. So I'm gonna always be of service because you never know who's gonna change your life by a conversation. That's fantastic. Oh man, Mel Robbins said that one time I was sitting at a conference and she said a conversation can change your life and I've never forgot. And now here you are telling me the same thing and it still applies 20 yes. years later and it will apply 20 years from now and continue. So I, I love that. I love the importance of, uh, I, and I talk about this uh, a lot and that is the importance of showing up. Yeah. Because you never know who you're going to get to talk to number one and number two, where that conversation is going to go. 
And Bruce, I'll say this. I am not, I'm not a natural networker. I, I really mm. don't like it. I don't. It feels awkward. It feels weird. I, I don't, I don't choose it normally. So part of it too, my, my service is me pushing myself to do what I don't like. And it has allowed me to meet people and, and, and to continue to strengthen my own muscle in being scared and, and doing it anyway. So a lot of it is selfish in that regard and that I want to show up and be the best person I can, but I also want to be an example to my sisters, my good girlfriends, my family, my friends, whomever, to say, look, I'm telling you, I don't like networking. It's scary, but I do it anyway. I, 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 uh, I appreciate you sharing this because I think a lot of times people will look at uh, someone going at a networking event, maybe somebody who's working the room, they're like, hey, they're natural. They're so good at that. And they don't realize how hard it was to get started. Uh, yeah. but, but understanding also the importance of getting started. Yeah. And yeah. so, I, and I share that a lot about networking. I, I've struggled. I, I mean, we all do. And, but we also know the results of showing up and having those conversations far outweigh uh, uh, not going, right? And I think that the other part is, we also know that I told a, my best friend just the other day, we were talking about networking. I said, 50% of the people in the room are thinking exactly what you're thinking. They're scared too. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. I sh I've shared a story in my book about the first time I went to a Dallas HR event and I saw 200 people in this room. It looked like they all knew each other. And once I became a board member and led the organization, I realized there's a, only a few people that know each other. Um, that's, that's fantastic. Oh, I love this. Oh my gosh. I could listen. I could go, I could talk about this subject all day long as well. And so I want to shift real quick and I want to talk a little bit about, uh, we talked about leading our teams, uh, leading project strategy. I want to talk about leading ourselves. You know, we talked a little bit about networking, but I, I would love for you to share, uh, uh, just a typical day in the life of you. I mean, is there, do you have a system or do you have a practice that you do every day to help you keep you on track? I do. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm consistently inconsistent with it, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I try. It, it is definitely etched in my being as far as when I know that I feel myself getting off my square, as I call it. Okay, you're off your routine. Let's, let's get back. I, I know that part about me. And so normally I start off with, um, I listen to podcasts. And it depends on how I'm feeling that day. Sometimes it's true crime. Sometimes it's business development. But I just, I don't want to turn on the TV. I just want to get into kind of a zone of listening and history. I, I'm a history buff, so I like to understand that. So I'll get into kind of my podcast zone. So I'm getting ready. I must have my coffee. When I say must with a capital M, I must have my first cup of coffee at home. <laughs> at home. <laughs> At home. And the other part that I do is I usually spend about five minutes meditating. Mm. Um, and I have these reflection cards that I use that usually gives me a, a word of the day to reflect on. And this reflection card is usually, it can be about myself. 
It can be about a relationship, be it uh, my husband, friends, or people at work and how I'm going to engage with them or the universe, I'll say. Well, how am I showing? So for instance, today, my, my car today was humor. And so, right. So we've been laughing. I love it. <laughs> today, my card was humor. And this card, it either gives you kind of the, the initial principle meaning, but it also will give you the inverse meaning of it in that sometimes we're not humor may be a mass for our pain mm -hmm. and that we're not addressing it. But other times in the principle meaning, humor is about not taking yourself so seriously. Calm down. It's going to be okay. So those are, so it's about 52 cards in this deck. And so I use those cards to guide me on, all right, what, what's the universe telling me today? What's my assignment today? Um, and so that's normally it. Sometimes I do work out at lately. I've been going at about five in the morning. Uh, there's a gym that's open 24 hours. And so I get, get to go to the gym for a little bit. Um, and then there are other times where I just lay in the bed. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I think it's uh, pretty interesting that uh, leaders that are really leading in, in that leadership lane, they, they all have uh, one thing in the common. That is, they have, this, they have this common thread of having a system. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's what you have, you know, Hey, I have this system. Uh, does it, does it change? Do I sometimes fall off? Yeah. I mean, we all do, but, yeah. but having a system means that we know where to pick back up. Absolutely. Right. We fell off. Okay. We know where to pick right back. Yeah. I love the, uh, I love the word. I haven't, I haven't heard that one yet. And I want to, I want to learn more about that. The word to kind of yeah. think about. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I read quotes and uh, of course I do, I do some of the things that you, you do as yeah. well, but it's just getting that mind right yeah. in the morning, like preparing yourself, right? Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. We, 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 and be it it's humor or just, I think as we move through life, as my one good uh, sorority sister says, this is not a dress rehearsal. Mm have the opportunity to show up in our fullest self and and I also have a word normally of the year that I reflect on and so this year's word has been joyful mm. and so I have been practicing finding joy in everything possible and it doesn't mean that you're oblivious and you're just walking around aloof but it all it for me it means how do i find the richness in the simplest of things and the most complex of things and especially in this year it has been clearly important to be joyful and even the pandemic as much as it has been a year that we will never forget it's also been a year of reckoning for a lot of things but it's also for me personally, it was a year to honor the stillness that the pandemic required. And it mm. allowed for me to be joyful of all of these things that we go to work for. You know, we go to work to have the nice TV and all the books and all the games and all the Netflix shows and all these things. But we always normally say pre-pandemic, well, when I have time, well, when I have time, well, when I have time, you have time right now. Hmm. And we had time before the pandemic, but this brought time into center stage. 
So I allow this year to be okay and really enjoy the stillness and be joyful sitting on the couch on a Saturday and getting to read a book uninterrupted for hours. Mm. That's fantastic. I love that. Oh my gosh. Oh my, listen, the time flies. I've got one question before we go into it's time to accelerate. I do like to ask uh, leaders that if they've had some, I mean, you've shared some incredible advice today. Is there any more advice or any advice that you, that you received that you often find your time sharing as well? Yeah. I think the thing that I probably had to come away with in over the course of my journey, (laughs) and it really has to do with purpose Mm. because it's going to ultimately show up in who you are is honor yourself and honor your goodness and what you bring to the team, to the work, and allow it to show up 100%. There are times where we want to belong, and sometimes we feel like belonging means you need to look like somebody else, or you need to you know, walk this talk, or you need to be this way in order to fit in. No. Inclusion is about bringing yourself to the table in your fullness. So that is what I, and there was a time, Bruce, where I ran away from that a little bit, where you're trying to fit in because you're trying to, you're early in your career and am I supposed to wear suits? Am I like, you you don't know where you fit yet. But I think with age comes wisdom. And I think there is also, you can't run away from what the design that the creator has for you. It's your design. You can't run away from it. You are you. Man, I, I got to tell you, my heart is so full right now. Uh, that is so good. I, I, one of the, I, I put together a 10 do's and don'ts of networking. I know we were talking about that earlier. And one of the things I put on there, I put on there tie or no tie. Well, you got to be you. And that's what you're talking about. You've got to be you. And so, hey, oh my gosh, this has been so good. Uh, we're going to move yeah. into a time to accelerate. I'm going to ask a few questions here, fun questions. You talked earlier about listening to a podcast. Would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? Read a book. Read a book. Any yes. any a good book? A hard book. Yes. Because I like to highlight. I like to write notes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I love it. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. Okay. Uh, I would like to know what you're excited about in 2021. I mean, we're, it's the start of the year. What's one thing you're like gives you energy? Man, that's kind of a hard one because there's several things happening in 2021 that I'm not at the place to reveal just yet, but I know they're coming. So you so, have some exciting, that's good. Listen, we got, I'm okay. I'm excited about what's, what I'm, I'm excited about my becoming. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, Halima. Yeah. Um, what, what, what are you, what are you grateful for? Ooh, now you want to get waterworks going. (laughs) I am grateful for my family. I am so. I love it. I love it. I'm right there with you. Man, it's a great time to be grateful, isn't it? Very much so. Um, They're amazing. 
They're amazing. You're amazing. My husband, my mom, my sisters. I'm grateful. It didn't have to be this way, but it is. I have an awesome family. Awesome. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I I, I promise I wasn't gonna cry. It's hey, okay. Hey. Vulnerability and courage is what I talked about. <laughs> Listen, I oh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the opportunity to that I I'm grateful for Lynn Stewart for asking me to come serve on the board and all of a sudden I get to meet you and serve with you and now become friends with you and yes. and by the way we were talking about mentors earlier uh formal informally you you've been a great mentor for me I get to see like oh my gosh you know you keep going I love it and I'm learning so much from yes. you on the DEI front I am grateful for you okay here's my last Yes. Uh, and final question, probably my favorite question that I ask on the show. And here's your question. <clears throat> Halima, 10 years older, is knocking on your door. Okay. Today. Okay. What is she telling you? Ooh, uh, she is telling me, keep going. Mm -hmm. You're doing all right. You're doing all right. Yeah, that's what she's telling me. Because um, I really, I actually get excited about getting older. There's just a richness about getting older that um, I, I actually am appreciative of. My sister just turned 40 last year. And I said, sister, ooh, you can't wait, honey. 40 is amazing. You get to say things that you could say before, all that type of stuff. So yeah, I actually, I like the aging process. It's pretty cool. Oh man, that's uh, fantastic. Listen, just like you said in your line, it's a privilege. It's a yeah. privilege to yeah. be here with you today. I've learned so much. I appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom and your perspective. If someone wanted to find uh, or learn more about you or connect with you, how, how yeah. is the best way that they would go about doing that? Find me on LinkedIn. I am there daily. <laughs> so find me on LinkedIn. Let's have a virtual coffee chat. Um, let's have a phone call. I'm here for it. Um, me being of service is truly a part of my core purpose and values. I truly want to uh, be a positive impact on someone else's life. So if I can serve, if I can help, if I can be a listening ear or a contributing part or party, let me know. I'm here. Well, Halima, you're definitely uh, driving in the leadership lane and I'm honored to be on this journey with you. Um, and I cannot wait to see what's ahead for us. So again, Thank you for being on the show. And, and, and most importantly, thank you for your friendship. Absolutely, sir. Happy New Year. Talk to you soon. I can't wait to share this. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you.